Well, I think one of the things that stands out with that video when you look at it really is the, the mercy and the love of the Father, right? Uh, I don't know if you can... You just can't read that story and you can't see a video like that and, and just see how great the Father's love is for the wayward son. The son is just kind of welcomed back with open arms. Uh, it's incredible. And Jesus tells us his story to actually teach us about God. And I take it that many of us in this room have probably uh, heard this parable. Um, who's heard this parable taught before? Pretty popular, I think that's pretty much everyone. I take it that most of the times when you've heard that parable taught or, or, or preached on, whether it's Bible study or sermon or whatever, most often you would have heard the message about God being a, a God of love and acceptance and grace. That's kind of the, the message, right? Uh, and that's absolutely true. Uh, God is a great God of love and acceptance and the restoration of the wayward sinner is a huge part of this story. But I actually want to look at it from a slightly different angle today. I actually want to look at it from uh, understanding the two sons, each of the two sons, the younger son and the elder son, and think about how they actually relate to the father. Because I think as we do that, we actually see that both the sons have a problem-type relationship with the father. Uh, it's really easy uh, to see that the younger son has a bit of an issue with his dad, uh, he's what you might call a bad kid, a bad boy. He runs away, he takes the wealth. Uh, it's really easy to pick that up, right? But the older son, I don't know if you noticed, the older son right at the end, how's he going with his dad? Not that great, right? He's actually on the outside, he's not at the party. He's on the outside and he's angry and he's bitter. And that's what I want to kind of unpack for us tonight. I want us to look at how it is uh, that these two boys actually show us how we might be relating to God. Um, Because I think this story that Jesus tells, he actually shows us that there's two wrong ways to relate to God, two wrong ways to think about our relationship with God. Uh, The two wrong ways are this. Um, The first way, uh, actually the two ways, they kind of look really different, but at their heart they're very similar. Uh, because you see, the, the younger son, it's very clear with him, he just wants the father's stuff, right? Uh, he he kind of comes to his dad and says, Dad, give me, give me the money, and, and he runs away, and he just wants the father's money so he can buy stuff and worldly pleasure. That's really easy to see. But I actually want us to show, I want to show you tonight that the elder son, he actually is very similar. He wants the father's stuff as well, not so much the father. I think both the boys, and I want to unpack this for us, both the boys don't have a good relationship with their dad because they're too focused on the, the worldly things, not the father himself. And so I just say that as an introduction to say, I guess, I don't know where you're at with your relationship with God tonight. I don't know where you're at and, and how you're thinking about, you know, if you just think about God as father if that is a, a really positive thing for you. Or maybe you've been stuck in a, a place where you haven't been relating to God in prayer and reading the Bible that much. Maybe you've kind of moved away from that a little bit. I actually want this parable to help us think some of those things through. So there's an outline there on your sheet. Um, uh, follow along. The parable begins... Uh, Pretty quickly, uh, Jesus follows on from the other two parables. And you see there in verse 11, Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. Quick little introduction. 
he introduces us firstly to the younger son in verse 12. Uh, the younger one says to the father, he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, he's saying, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. Uh, you know, so it's not hard to pick up what this younger son wants, is it? The younger son, he wants the money so he can go and spend it on worldly pleasures. I've been thinking about this a little bit uh, in terms of uh, I've got three kids and, and I hope that they don't ever grow up and say this kind of thing to me. Because essentially, what are they saying? That, that this son is coming to his father. When does inheritance kick in? You ever thought about that? Inheritance kicks in when you die, right? When your parents die, that is when the inheritance is given to you. This son is essentially coming to his dad saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could get the money so I can spend it on what I want to spend it on. It's kind of not a great father-son relationship going on there, right? Um, I hope my son Harry never comes and goes, Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could get cash or I could buy stuff for me. It's pretty easy to see that this isn't a great relationship between the father and the son. This son, he has no care for the father, does he? There is no real genuine love for the father. He just wants what the father's money can get him. He wants the father's stuff. And in the story, quite interestingly, the father gives the son what he wants. Uh, he divides up the property between the two sons, you see it there, um, which actually in Jesus' day, in that culture, it would have meant that to divide up the property would have meant that the elder son got the bigger share. The elder son would have actually got two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would have got one-third of the estate. And that is because it was the, the um, responsibility of the elder sons back in that first century culture to actually keep the family together, to, to look after the family. Uh, if you want to chase that up, you can look at it in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 21 kind of spells that out. It's called the law of primogenitor. So the, the firstborn son is the one who's responsible for carrying on the family line, so he gets a larger share of the inheritance. So the, the elder son would have got given two-thirds, the, the younger son would have got given one-third, and the younger son, he's completely fine with that, he's got the cash. And so what he does is he goes away to a distant country, and you see it there in verse 13, he squandered his property in reckless living. Squandered his property in reckless living. Now, we don't know exactly what the son spent his money on. Uh, perhaps it was um, sex, alcohol, good food. Uh, perhaps it was a bit of a per perpetual O-week was what he was going for. Uh, that sort of worldly pleasure. His idea was that that, that sort of pleasure could make him happy. If he just got that, then he would be happy. Then he would be satisfied. Worldly pleasure, give it to me now. That's the youngest son. And I take it that Jesus is saying to us here that one of the ways that we as humans can live, one of the ways that we can live is kind of with our backs to God, just chasing after worldly pleasures. That's one way to live life, to get caught up in the pleasures of the world, the, the temptations now. And it seems to me that for some people, this kind of getting caught up in worldliness, you can actually see it in their lives. Uh, it's kind of obvious from some people's lives that that's just what they're chasing after. Um, we might use the word sinners. It's kind of interesting. If you go back to chapter 1, uh, verse 1, sorry, of chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 actually give us the scene for what prompted Jesus to tell this parable. 
Uh, I'll read it out there because what you see is that this group, this kind of younger son group, is actually what's on view, what you might call the sinners, people who you look at and you can actually say they're kind of just chasing after worldly things. Have a look there. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Do you see what's happening? The sinners, that is the people like the younger son, they were drawing near to hear Jesus. But there's another group of people, there's the the Pharisees, that is the kind of good people, the religious, moral people. And what do they do? Well, they complain, right? They they say, why is Jesus hanging out with those type of people? Why is Jesus hanging out with sinners? Isn't Jesus meant to be from God? How can can he be accepting those type of people? Some people, Jesus is saying, are clearly lost. Some people, you can actually see it from their lives, that they're actually like the younger son. I don't really know who we might put into that category today. Uh, Perhaps we would think about people who are murderers or sex traffickers. Uh, maybe maybe drunkards, people like that. People you can just kind of go, oh, they're, they're sinners, right? And you put them in that type of category. You can see from their life that they're lost. And in this story that Jesus tells, well, what happens? Well, for a time, it, it seems like the younger son has a fair bit of fun. You kind of saw that on the video. But what happens? His cash runs out, right? And in verse 14, you see that a severe famine hits the land. And this son finds himself in such need that he takes a job feeding pigs. Which in a Jewish culture, well, that was the lowest of the low. That's hitting rock bottom. But I think the words that really catch my attention here in verse 16, no one gave him anything. See at the end of verse 16? No one gave him anything. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? This son turns his back on God. He runs towards worldly pleasure, thinking that's going to satisfy what he thought would make him happy, but it doesn't. It disappoints. I've told you guys this before, um, but Jim Carrey, I think, really helpfully said, you know, the comedian Jim Carrey, um, he once said, um, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can know that that's not the answer. That's, that's from Jim Carrey. That's, that's pretty telling, don't you reckon? Everyone should get rich and famous and do whatever they ever want so they know that that's not the answer. That's what Jesus is saying here with the younger son. Worldly pleasures, sinful pleasures, they don't satisfy. They will leave you feeling empty and alone. And in verse 17, we see that something changes in this young man. He comes to his senses. He remembers that there actually is somebody who gives to him. He's back home. It's his father. And so, to see what he does in the story, he actually plans what he's going to say when he goes back to his father. Verse 18, you see that. Have a look at verse 18. He says, this is what I'll say. I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. That's what he's going to say. I'm going to ask to become a hired hired servant because I don't deserve to be a son. 
Do you see what this younger son does? He humbles himself. He goes back to the father and he says, I've done wrong. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But see how the father reacts to that. His father saw him when he was a long way off and he was filled with compassion. And he runs to see his son. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. He just, he just embraces him. Do you see the picture there that Jesus is giving us of our God? Our God just loves to run and accept sinners who turn to him. This father showers his love, his acceptance on his boy, this sinner who humbly returns to him. And do you know what? I imagine, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but try to imagine putting yourself in the position of that son. I imagine the son would have kind of been like, you know, the father's just given him this massive bear hug and he's kind of like, hang on, hang on, Dad, just kind of break free the hug a little bit. Hang on, Dad, I, I don't deserve your acceptance. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to be back here. And you know, that that's actually completely true. What the son says there is completely true. He, he doesn't deserve to get back in. He doesn't deserve um, to be reinstated. But the father will have none of that. The father fully reinstates him. He says, go and get the robe, put the best robe on him. Go and get the family ring. Go and kill the fattened calf. Let's party. Because this son of mine, who was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is now found. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. That It is by God's undeserved favour. It is a gift to people who will just simply receive it by returning to the Father. That's what the Son gets. He gets grace. He gets this amazing gift. That's what all sinners get when they return to God the Father. And now I take it I could probably stop here and, and maybe emphasise for a little bit that all of us in this room are actually a little bit like the younger son. All of us have at times kind of turned our back on God and run towards the world. We've all got caught up in sin. And I could emphasise that if we turn back to God, that we can receive his grace. And that would be probably pretty good talk. It would be a bit shorter. You might appreciate that. I don't know. But it seems to me that Jesus doesn't stop there. Because he tells a story about two sons. There's the younger brother and there's the older brother. And in verse 25, you actually see that the the elder brother, when he hears that there's this great party happening, he can't stand it. He can't stand the fact that the younger son has come and the father has accepted him. You saw it on the video. Seriously? Seriously, Dad? gets angry. In verse 28, you see, he refuses to come in to the father's party. And now I think you've got to ask, why does Jesus include this character? I mean, it seems to me that the story would have ended pretty well if you just finished at verse 24. You've kind of got this great moment of reconciliation. It's kind of, you know, all, all wrapped up. But then Jesus goes and introduces this second character, why have an elder brother? Kind of spoils the story a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> well, remember verses 1 and 2. 
Remember back there, verses 1 and 2? Jesus told this parable in response to something that had happened. He told this parable, he actually told all three of those parables, in response to the fact that the Pharisees, the good gods, the moral gods, were angry that sinners were being welcomed home. And so in response to the anger, Jesus tells three parables. Three parables about something that is lost. Someone goes out to find them. They bring them home and they celebrate. But do you see, neither the older son nor the Pharisees are celebrating. They're both bitter. They're both angry. They're both saying, it's not fair. Friends, I think what Jesus is really saying is there's actually two ways to be lost. There's two ways to be kind of alienated or in a bad relationship with the Father. One is like the younger son, selfish sinfulness. But the other is actually like the elder brother, what you might call self-righteousness, kind of proud and caught up in his own morality and good works. So you have a look again at verse 28. Look at the self-righteousness of the older brother. The father comes out to him and the father actually pleads with him to come into the party. But, but, the, but in verse 29, the elder brother, he refuses. And he says, look, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders and you've never even given me a goat to have with my friends. Do you see what the older older brother is saying? He's saying, Dad, I've been good. I've been really good. So where's my reward for being good? I don't know if you're a Christian, but maybe you've ever thought like that. Like the older brother, I've been good. I've been coming to see you every week, even week 11. I've been going to church. I've been nice to people. I've been serving on the rosters. I've been giving my money. I've been slaving away, God. I've been good. So where's my goat? Where's my reward? Right? How come my life kind of seems hard, God? How come things don't seem to always be going well for me when I've been Good, do you see? That's the older brother. Elder brothers believe that if they live a good life, they should get a good life. Elder brothers believe that because they've been good, God owes them. And often, because our lives don't always meet our expectations, often there's just kind of this anger or this bitterness just below the surface. Which brother do you tend to be more like? I know that's probably a pretty personal question. I'm not asking you to respond out loud, but I think deep down we kind of know, don't we, which way we tend to go. Perhaps it's the worldly pleasure-seeking of the younger son. Perhaps it's kind of this the... There's anger and bitterness like the older son because we think maybe God owes us for some reason. I take it that 
probably we don't want to be like either son, do we? So my question is, what, what will actually help us change? What will help us change so we're not like either of them? I think the answer is this. The answer is to know the cost of forgiveness. To know the cost of forgiveness. See, this is a really interesting parable. Many people over the years have taught this parable and they've actually taught that forgiveness is free. They've looked at the fact that the younger son has come home and the father's just embraced him and they've said, look, reconciliation is free. Forgiveness is free. In fact, some people have even used this parable to make the statement that God doesn't need um, punishment for sin. God doesn't need justice for sin because he just accepts. He just forgives. Well, the truth is that that is wrong. Reconciliation is free, yes, for the sinner. But there is always a cost in forgiveness. And it is actually very costly for someone else in this story. One of the reasons I think that the elder brother is so furious is because he gets this. He gets the fact that there's a cost. Uh, He kind of alludes to it in verse 27 when he says to his father, you never even gave me a goat, but you killed the fattened calf for him. He's feeling cheated in that moment, right? So the elder brother, he actually gets the fact that there's a cost. He's angry, I think, because do you remember... Remember that the father split the estate? So one-third went to the younger son, two-thirds went to the, to the older son. So what that means is that every time the father gives anything away from now on, any time he gives away the fattened calf or he gives away the ring or he gives away the robe, where's that coming from? That's actually coming from the account of the older brother. It's costing the older brother. The father's actually telling the truth in verse 31 when he says to his son, everything I have is yours because he's already split up the estate. It's all his. So whenever the father starts giving anything to this sinner who's returned, it actually costs the elder brother. And so the elder brother, because he thinks he's better than his brother, well, he hates what the father is doing. He can't stand it. He gets angry. And see, I think the truth is he's not only a bad son, but he's also a bad brother. And I think you get that when you see the two parables that Jesus told us before. So remember the two parables that Jesus told us before? There was a really clear pattern in those two parables. Uh, I don't know if you picked it up when we read it, the lost sheep and the lost coin, but the pattern is this. There's a lost object. So someone goes out to search for it, they find it and they celebrate when they bring it home. The shepherd realises he's lost his sheep, so he goes out, finds it, brings it home. The woman realises she's lost a coin, so she goes out, finds it, brings it home. But where's the? what's the twist in the third story? No one goes out. No one searches. And so the question you've got to ask is, well, who should have gone out? And the answer is, it should have been the older brother. That's why he got two-thirds of the estate. Because it was his responsibility to keep the family together. See, a good elder brother, a good elder brother should have said something like this. He should have said, Dad, my brother has been a fool and his life is in ruins. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out, I'm going to search for him and I'm going to bring him home and if that costs me, if my inheritance is gone, then so be it. I will wear that at my expense. 
but I'm going to bring him back into the family at my expense. That's what a good elder brother should have done. And that, I take it, is where Jesus is really having a crack at the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are the ones who know about God, and yet they don't have any care for the people who are lost, the sinners. See, what this story actually needs is it needs a proper elder brother, doesn't it? What this story needs is an elder brother who says, if you go astray, if you run off in sin, I won't hold it against you, but I'll bring you back at great cost to myself. I think you know who the elder brother is. It's the guy telling the story. It's Jesus. Jesus is the true elder brother. Jesus is the one who wouldn't just go into a far country, but he's the one who came all the way from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost, to bring us who are lost back in. Jesus is is the one who bore the ultimate cost to bring us back. He went and died on a cross, taking on the judgment of God. That is the price he paid so that we could be brought back in. Jesus, do you see? He is our true elder brother. And it seems to me that it's only when we get that, when we get the cost of forgiveness, what it cost Jesus to bring us back in, it's only when we get that that we actually stop being like the two sons. So think about it. If we know that our God is a God who loves us so much that he would send his son to come and die for then why would we run away from him? Why would we doubt that he is good? Why would we think that the world is better and run off like the younger son? And secondly, when we look at the cross and we realise what Christ has done for us by dying for us and giving us so much, how can we hold anger and bitterness against him? How can we say that he owes us when he has given us so much in our salvation. See, remembering the true elder brother, friends, remembering the cross, it actually keeps us from self-righteousness and it keeps us from wellbeingness. So if you're finding yourself going either way, what's the answer? It's to remember the true elder brother. It's to remember that he searched for you He found you in the pigsty of sin and he carried you all the way home. And he still does. Remember that he's carrying you to the Father and with great joy he has clothed you with his robe of righteousness and the wealth of eternal life, all at his expense. Remember that. And you'll find great joy in the Father. Let me pray for us. Our Father God, we thank you that you're a God who gives us so much, that you save us. Save us who are lost, caught in sin. Father, I pray that you will protect us from running away and seeking after worldly pleasures. Father, I pray that you will protect us from self-righteousness. 
please help us always to come back and believe the gospel. Believe your great love for us, that Christ died for us, and that it's the gospel that changes us and makes us new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.